It's a subject that's um, a little hard for me to share with because it's such a serious subject. Speaking on hell this morning. When I was in, uh, oh, just one note. My son is in Indonesia and he's traveling and he's over uh, this morning. He spoke in the Gadai tribe at their church. This is the church, the place where I served, uh, starting in 1980. And uh, they have their own elders there. They have the New Testament. Anyway, my son spoke about us about 12 hours ago. Is <laughs> there 12 hours ahead of us? But uh, anyway, I spoke on this subject uh, as a senior in a little Bible school in New York State. All the seniors got to preach one message at chapel, and I spoke on hell during that. That was in 1967. <laughs> okay. Do you really believe in hell? Just think about that. If you do, you're probably in the minority. According to a recent survey, only 32% of Americans believe in a literal hell. A literal hell. I'm not talking about there may be judgment uh, because a lot of people in America do believe that. I thought of uh, if I could take a survey of everybody from Adam till this day that have died, whether they believe in hell, I think it would be a hundred percent. Whether they were saved or unsaved, I believe the uh, poll would end up a hundred percent. What the Bible teaches about hell, it doesn't really matter uh, what I say. Uh, where's my Bible? Gonna oh. <laughs> <laughs> see how well. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> I thought about bringing out uh, the warnings, some of the warnings that are in the Bible, not necessarily about hell, but how the Bible does warn us about different things. And I uh, thought I'd look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. He believed God. God credited him for righteousness. He was saved and he was warned about the flood. So he prepared an ark and it saved him and his family. Uh, over in Genesis 19, a warning there. Starting verse 12, this is uh, two angels that came to Lot and told him to get out of there because uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed by fire. Because uh, of men here, but there were angels. In verse 12, then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent to destroy it. So Lot went out, spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters 
who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. Anyway, uh, the angels basically had to drag them out of town, but they were saved. They didn't get burned up. Matthew chapter 3. The Bible has a lot of warnings, but uh, this is one. Matthew chapter 3. Starting with verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to change your mind. What you're trusting in now won't work. You need to trust in God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. His ministry was to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Wow. And then... Luke chapter 13. Interesting portion of scripture. Luke chapter 13, our Lord Jesus. They are questioning him. Verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate had killed these people. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, no. See, they're all sinners. They're all lost, all doomed and damned. He says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell, he killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners? Then all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem, I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So the Bible is filled with a number of warnings. Um, just why did God create hell? Uh, we find that answer in Matthew 25. Why did God create hell? This is at the judgment of the nations in the context and the ones who basically rejected the message in verse 41 then he will also say to those on the left hand depart from me you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels so the creation of hell was basically prepared for the devil and his angels fairly simple idea there there are two words translated hell in the New Testament, in the King James especially. In your newer versions, they're um, separated. But in the King James, they all said hell. But uh, Hades is the first one. This is a temporary place of the dead where people die. They go to Hades. It is described in Luke uh, 16. Look with me to Luke chapter 16. It's a terrible place, but it's not as bad as hell, which I'll explain to you why. The story begins in verse 19. 
There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He was head of man. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. He was with the Lord. He's with Abraham, with all the believers. The rich man also died and was buried and being in torments and in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that you in your lifetime, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So those who want to go to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that he would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So he was really, he knew that he couldn't go to the place where Abraham was. So the thing he thought about was his brothers. And he thought if, if Lazarus could go back to this world and tell his brothers that his brothers were coming home. And he said, no, Father Abraham. Oh, no, excuse me. Uh, I have brothers, five brothers that they may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What they're saying is they have the word of God. They have the word of God. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Wow. If they won't listen to the word of God, they wouldn't even listen to somebody who rose from the dead. The other word is Gehenna. That's translated hell. This was a valley in Jerusalem where the city dump was and always had a fire burning. This word was borrowed. Uh, the word was used for the eternal fire of hell. And it's often called in the scriptures, the lake of fire. Jesus teaching on hell. The word hell is mentioned 12 times, the Gehenna, which is the eternal lake of fire. 12 times and 11 of these were spoken by our Lord Jesus. I want to just share a few of them with you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God. person can kill you, but he can't send you to hell. person can kill anybody, but they can't send them to hell. That's all in God's hands. And that's the one word of fear. Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Chapter 23 of Matthew. Verse 15. 
He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of the day. But they were teaching by good works you can get to heaven, which is a false gospel. And Jesus said this in verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. What a warning there to the scribes and Pharisees. Chapter 23, verse 33, just the next page on my Bible. Here he's talking to the Pharisees and scribes again in verse 33. He says, serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Jesus spoke many times about hell and gave great warnings. Who is in hell now? No one. Hell's empty right now. There's people in Hades waiting to be brought up and stand at the great white throne. But no one's in hell right now. So the first occupants of hell are found in Revelation 19. This is at the end of the great tribulation, the seven years uh, the church is raptured, raptured just before the tribulation and the seven year tribulation. And the Lord Jesus comes back and it takes that up in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true in righteousness. He judges and makes war. That's the Lord Jesus. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. I think that'll be us. (laughs) We'll be riding horses. Maybe you never rode a horse, but you'll be riding one day. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. All judgment has been given to the Son, the Bible tells us clearly. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast. This is the Antichrist. It's mentioned in Revelation Chapter 13, he comes out of the sea. It's an antichrist. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse. That's sat on that white horse. That's the Lord Jesus. They're going to make war against the Lord Jesus and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. False prophets also in Revelation chapter 13. He's the one who comes out of the earth, and he tells people to worship the beast, worship the Antichrist. He just really encourages people to follow him. So the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, 
by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. That's the first occupants of the lake of fire or hell. That's future at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Second occupants of hell. Now the second occupant starts in verse 7 of, of chapter 20. Um, the Lord Jesus sets up his kingdom. Uh, devil and Satan is bound for a thousand years. And then at the end of that time, he is loosed. Uh, verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. So he will not be able to deceive the nations during a thousand years. And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together, together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city. So they're going to fight the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And fire came down from the God of, out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone. So second occupant, the devil. So the devil who deceived them was cast in the lake. They won't volunteer to go. They'll be cast in. Cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They're still there. It's a thousand years later. Beast and the false prophet are still there. And they, that's talking about the beast, false prophet, and Satan. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Second occupant of the lake of fire. The 30 occupants is found here in chapter 20 also, starting in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. This is a judgment of the unbelievers. There in the scripture, and I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, but there was no, found no place for them. They couldn't flee away. They had to stand at the great white throne. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. These are people that have been in Hades. God's going to raise them up. And they're going to stand before God at the great white throne. And the books are open. These are books on end of the, each individual is a book. Every individual they ever lived is a book. And everything they ever did is written in that book. All their sins are written in that book. And there was another book was opened. This is a single book, which is a book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, according to the books that were written in the books. They'll be judged according to their works. There'll be a degree of punishment in hell. By the things which were written in the books, plural. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. You see, death and Hades, the people who were in Hades that died before this time, will be raised up out of Hades and stand at the great white throne. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And the death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. That's the end of Hades. It's the end of death. There's no more physical death at this time. There's a second death, which is people are in the lake of fire forever and ever. It's called the second death. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. It's talking about the lake of fire for hell. 
And anyone not found written in the book of life, that's where the book of life comes in. When a person trusts in the Lord Jesus as a savior, his name is written in the book of life. It's there forever, eternally. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. This is the third and last occupants of the lake of fire. Description of hell. Look in uh, Luke 13. Listen carefully to the scripture of this Lord Jesus. Uh, they questioned him. Luke 13, verse 23. Then one said to him, Lord, are there a few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door. Wow. There's a time coming when the door shut. No more opportunity to trust Christ. It's like shutting the door of the ark. Once the door of the ark was shut, there was no opportunity for people to get on the ark. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he'll answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, you yourselves thrust out. So many Jewish people, people will come from the east and the west, all over the believers, all over the world will come and be with the Lord, but there'll be many Jewish people who have the word of God rejected Christ. Uh, they come uh, weeping a nation teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, you yourself shall south, and they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are the last who are the, be the first and there are the first who will be the last. There'll be weeping and national teeth. That's mentioned five times, weeping and national teeth. Darkness, look at Psalm 48, 19. 49. Oh, uh, yeah, I can't read here. 49. <laughs> 49, 19. And the context here is talking about the rich that just uh, live in luxury, but they don't pay any attention to God. Verse 19, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Think about that. They will never see light. Matthew 8, 12. This is similar to what I read before. Many will come from the east and the west, sit down in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer Darkness, outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jude chapter 13, I mean verse 13, so in one chapter. This in context is talking about the false prophets. He's describing the false prophets here in verse 13, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. 
And I've heard jokes, you know, you know, when I get to hell, I'll be so busy shaking hands with all my old friends. I won't have time to worry about it. Well, you won't be able to see your old friends because it's going to be blackness, darkness forever. You might be able to hear them, but it'll be weeping, wailing, gnashing teeth. Eternal place of torment, Revelation 14. A couple things I want to point out here. This is describing the people during the tribulation and fall of the Antichrist. And they'll be judged forever and ever, but this description goes to all people that will be in hell. Verse 9 of chapter 14. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships a beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receives the mark of his name. So there'll be a place of torment and fire. But here's another one. There'll be no rest. There'll be no breaks. Oh, man, if I could just have a five-minute break. be no breaks in him. Think about that. No breaks. No. It'd be continuous, continuous. God will give them a body that won't burn up to, but they can feel the pain. There'd be no rest. The Bible says there's no peace, says my God, to the wicked. And you need the Lord Jesus to find peace with God. Eternal separation from God, Second Thessalonians, chapter 1. <clears throat> I think this is probably the, the worst thing. It's, um, to me, the people there in Thessalonica were under persecution and tribulation, and things were going really rough. And um, so he's trying to give them some encouragement that those people that are really persecuting them and giving them such a hard time that God's going to pay him back. He's Jehovah El Gamoa, which means the Lord God that pays back. Pays back. Verse 7. And to give you who are troubled, rest with us. See, those who know the Lord Jesus will find rest. Beautiful. And give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angel in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Verse 1, those who do not know God. And second, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins, was buried, was again the third day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, now shall be saved. And people rebel and say, I will not do that. Those who will obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will be punished with everlasting destruction. Not just temporary, but everlasting. You know, we sing that song, where will you spend eternity? You can't spend eternity. If you could spend it, it would end. It'll never end. Never end. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You see, they'll be separated from God and his glory forever and ever. Our God is light. That's why they're in darkness. They're totally separate from God for all eternity. That's a terrible, terrible situation. 
there's some erroneous views of heaven. One is, uh, you probably all heard this, a second chance view after death, there'll still be a way to escape hell. But the Bible answers that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, may you know this verse. And as it is appointed for men once to die, to die once, but after this, the judgment, you see, it's only while people are alive, they have an opportunity to trust Christ. That's why today's a day of salvation. And uh, they die. We're all going to die unless the Lord comes back. But after death is a judgment. Judgment. And there's no second chance. Second one is universalism. This is uh, the liberal church. Many people around the world think that everybody's going to be eternally saved. That God's going to save everybody. God's a loving God. He would never... Uh, in John 3, Jesus is teaching Nicodemus in verse 3, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Only those that are born again, those who have trusted Christ as their Savior will see the kingdom of God. And then uh, in verse 5, he says, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Only those who Know the Lord Jesus. And then annihilation, which means that uh, you just cease to exist. You died like an old dog. And you, and nothing happens. You're just eternally gone. You don't suffer anything. You don't do it. You just die. Daniel chapter 12. <laughs> Verse 1 and 2. At that time, Michael shall stand up, Michael the archangel, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Your people at this is talking about the Jews. There should be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. That's that great tribulation is coming on this over. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. <laughs> your people, those who know God, those who obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, shall be delivered. Everyone who's found written in the book. Everyone who knows the Lord Jesus. Written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. It's everybody. Some to everlasting life. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. I think one of the worst things in hell will be somebody's memory. They'll remember every time they had an opportunity to be saved. And the shame and the contempt that is eternal. Um, there's two ways to die in scripture one Jesus describes in John 8 he's talking to people here that basically rejected him called him a liar Jesus had done this verse 24 chapter 8 therefore I said to you you will die in your sins for if you do not believe that I am he you will die in your sin. If you do not believe that I am me, you don't believe I'm the Messiah. You don't believe that I'm the Son of God. You don't believe that I came to die for your sins. And I was buried and rose again. If you don't believe that, you will die in your sins. It's a terrible way to die. The wages of sin, death. Death in the Bible always means separation. Separated from God for all eternity. The other way is die in Christ. 
Revelation 14, 13. Some good news here. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. That's a beautiful thing. Those who die in the Lord. You can die in your sins. Die. God's view of hell. I just wanted to share a few verses with you. I look in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Precious verse that I memorized not too long ago. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. That's God's heart. God's heart. He wants us all to choose life. Ezekiel 33. Pick out verse, start in verse 10. He's speaking here. He says, therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, it's another way of saying we die in our sins. How can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil way, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God takes no pleasure in anybody going to hell. That's not his desire. First Timothy chapter 2. Here in the context, it's talking about praying for all who are in authority and for this good and acceptable in sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart. God's heart is that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter 3, 9. This in the context where there's evil men say, where is the promise of this coming for since the Father has fell asleep? All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. I've heard that before. Uh, everybody says the Lord's coming young. They've been saying that for since I was a little kid. Anyway, been saying it for years, thousands of years. And uh, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but as some count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but they should all come to repentance. How can we escape from hell? Um, I'll just share a few verses and then we'll stop. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. The Lord cries out to men, let's listen to reason. Some people will not listen to reason. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as snow. In John 3. Starting with that famous verse, and we could spend a lot of time here, but we won't. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on Calvary for us. Take our place. 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes is not, uh, in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And uh, look in Hebrews 6 for a sec. One of the neat verses to describe salvation is in Hebrews 6, I start verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, that we might have strong consolation, strong comfort, strong encouragement, who have fled for refuge that lay hold of the hope before us. See, there is no hope. And we fled for refuge to the Lord Jesus, to the Lord Jesus that's set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, assured, steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, whereas the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become the high priest forever according to order of Melchizedek. And then Revelation 22, 17, the last invitation in the Bible, very beautiful. And the spirit, uh, as I, anybody ever preaches the gospel, one thing, or if you witness to somebody, remember the spirit of God right there is saying, listen to this guy, what he's saying is true. Listen to this guy, what he's saying is true. And the spirit and the bride say, come, means come to Jesus. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst come, who, whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Just as you think about the study of hell, should affect us, even as believers, the seriousness of when we are with the unsaved. And those who don't know the Lord Jesus, flee from the wrath of God to come. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the warnings you've given us. Thank you for the blessed hope we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.